Welcome to the New Point Community Church Podcast. This message is part of our series, Better. We want to thank you for joining us, and we hope this inspires you and builds your faith. Welcome to New Point. We're glad that you're joining us wherever and however you are. We're excited about you being with us today because we're in a series called Better. When life offers you choices, choose the better. And we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. A man named Solomon, a very wise man, uh, wrote the book. And really, he's journaling. He's called the teacher. And he's making observations. And he's gaining a perspective about people and about life. And also from his own life, because he's one person that a lot of people would envy and would want his life and all that that he experienced. And so he's teaching us, he's training us, he's sharing with us so that we don't have to learn from experience, but we can learn from someone who has experienced it. Now, we're halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes and we have a pretty good idea of man's perspective and his pursuit, but something is missing and it's wisdom, it's wisdom. It's like Solomon has gone through half of his life and he's in that midlife crisis and things that are important and dear to him. He's now kind of being uh, uh, viewed as cynicism and skepticism and just a lot of different things. And, and the simplicity and the purity of his walk of faith has, has been shattered a little bit. And so wisdom took a back seat with him. And as wisdom's beginning to return to his life, he's sharing some specific things. And Solomon begins to view life above the sun instead of below the sun. And in this, he's, he's gaining a perspective. He's gaining stability in his life. And he's really experiencing and living out the wisdom that God gave him. Now, what is wisdom? I want to give you a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see life from a rare perspective and to handle life with rare stability. That's what it is. And, and, and when you do that, what happens is there's a remarkable sense of the absence of fear. There's no seas of panic or anxiety or worry or fret. You know, you can lose your job or you could get promoted in your job and have more responsibility. And yet it seems like very few things derail us. Why? Because we're seeing it as God sees it. And when you and I see it as God sees it, we handle it with his wisdom. And his wisdom provides that perspective, it provides that stability that, that you and I need to live in a world that is so unstable. Now, I'm not talking about fantasy world, okay? I'm talking about reality. It's the ability to live above the opinions of people and that horizontal perspective that so many people want to give you and I. It's what happens when you and I begin to experience the wisdom of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. In this chapter, okay, Solomon uses the word better six times. And so what he's saying to you and me is this, when we can grasp God's wisdom, life's gonna be better. When, when life throws you choices and we choose better, it's going to go better for you and for me, whether it's in your marriage, in your finances, in your parenting, at work, wherever. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna walk us through this chapter and, and just make some comments of some ways in which 
I think if you and I choose to embrace them and learn from them, we can experience a better life. Here's what he starts off with in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. He says, a good name is more valuable than costly perfume. Wow. A good name is more valuable than costly perfume. Here's what I draw from this. Be a person of character. Be a person of character. A good reputation is more valuable than the external enhancement of perfume, okay? And what he's emphasizing here is a life of character. And so here's my question for us today. What's your character worth? I, I mean, I, I look around and, and, and I, I see people who selling off their character really, really at, at cheap prices. Because what happens is many times, once you and I sell off our character, it's hard and it takes a lot of work to restore that character. And so what he says is that a good name is better than, than perfume because perfume wears off. A good character lasts forever. And then he goes on to say these words. He says, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. Wow. He says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. That's not true today. I mean, most of us would rather go to a party than a funeral. Matter of fact, the funerals that I do are not well attended. And he goes on to say, after all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. What's he saying? He's saying that you and I need to have the humility to be able to live every day for one day. Every day for one day. And how do you do that? Well, you understand that life is precious. You understand that, hey, you know what? Life is short. You understand that life is but a vapor. It's not just a party. And so what he's saying is when you go to a funeral, it sobers you up. It lets you know that, hey, you know what? Life is fragile. It, it lets you know that, that life can be gone in a moment. And so what he's saying is live every day for one day. Don't take it for granted. And then he goes on and he says, sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Here's what I think he's saying to us, okay? Learn to grieve. Learn to grieve. Now, I, I think this is something we don't do very well. And, and, and yet what happens in life is, is we experience all kinds of losses because life is full of change. And every change we experience in life includes losses because you're giving something up old for something new. You experience a loss, and when you experience a loss, you experience pain. And for you and I not to grieve, it's not good. You see, grief is not bad. It's the way in which you and I get through the transitions of life. You see, what is bad is unprocessed grief. If you don't grieve, if I don't grieve, what happens is we get stuck emotionally. And, and let me just say this, some of us are stuck in our teenage years. You know why? Because something wrong happened while we were teenagers. Maybe we were abused, maybe something traumatic happened to us, may, maybe we, we um, uh, experienced uh, a family being torn apart through divorce, and it happened long, long ago, and we've never grieved what we lost. We lost our childhood, or we lost our innocence, or we lost our family. 
And I'm just telling you, that's not healthy. That's unhealthy. And sometimes the only appropriate thing, the only logical response is to grieve the loss, the disappointment, the suffering that you have experienced. You see, listen, God doesn't want you to be happy all the time because he knows that you and I live in a fallen world. In fact, God wants you to be intentional about your grief. You see, grief is a choice. Not everything that's helpful and healthy feels good. Sometimes you have to allow yourself to experience the pain of loss, the sorrow of loss. Because what happens is God says this. He says that when you mourn, guess what? You're going to experience my comfort and you can receive God's blessing in that time. And, and what I want you to know is that there's no hurt that you can experience that Jesus doesn't understand. He understands it all because he's been through it all. He's experienced all the loneliness, all the betrayal, all the rejection that one could experience. And the good news is he overcame it. And he can heal your heart and he can heal my heart. And so Solomon would say to you and me, here's the way to live a better life. Learn to grieve. Learn to grieve. And then he goes on to say this. He says, a wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. What's he saying here? He's saying develop an eternal perspective. You know what, I have to confess to you that there was a period of time in my life I never thought about death. Are you kidding me? I was arrogant, brash, thought I was gonna live to be an old man. And then I had a heart attack. And it sobered me up. And I had to deal with my, my mortality. And, and, and you know what? I think about death every day. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think about death. And, and it reminds me that life is precious once again and, and that it's fragile. And so whether it's my interaction with Patty, whether it's in my interaction with our kids, whether it's my interaction with coworkers, you know, I, I realize that, hey, life is short. I don't have the promise of tomorrow. And so what Solomon is saying is that we need to move beyond the superficial and the temporal things of life to those things that really matter in life, that are significant. And the way in which you live a significant life is you develop an eternal perspective. And so what happens is Solomon is saying, you know, think about dying. You're saying, Dwight, you're getting morbid on me. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm getting real with you. You see, we're going to spend more time on that side of the grave than we are on this side of the grave, but we live as though we're going to spend all of our time on this side of the grave and very little time on that side of the grave. That's just not wise. And the way in which you live a better life is you develop an eternal perspective and you make decisions and you deal with life in light of eternity. And then he goes on and he continues his wisdom in his journal. He says this, better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This is also meaningless. Here's what I take from his journal. He says, be teachable. Be teachable. Be coachable. You know, truth be known, far too many of us are not teachable. We don't want to hear the correction. We don't want to hear the rebuke from the boss or maybe from a spouse or maybe from a friend or maybe from a mom or a dad. And what happens is we don't want that. And so what happens is we never get better. 
And what he is saying is be teachable. You know, if you're always around a clown, okay, he may make you laugh, she may make you laugh, but you know what, you won't grow. You need to be around somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. So let me ask you a question. Are you comfortable with hearing things that are uncomfortable, that might sting, that might be a little bit painful? It may even be from a former spouse. It may be from your therapist. It may be from a counselor. It may be from somebody you don't like. It may be somebody that's older than you and you think they don't have anything to say. It may be somebody who is younger than you and you think that they don't have anything to teach you. It may be from the opposite sex. And you say, how could she ever teach me anything? Or how could he ever teach me anything? But what I'm saying is that you and I must be willing and open to rebukes. You don't need something to make you feel good with laughter. That's what Solomon is saying. You need somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. And you know what? We have to give people permission to be able to do that. And if you want to get better at life, then you have to be open for other people to do that. Now, here's, here's, here's what I found in my life, okay? Uh, when I've received a buke or recrection, whether it's from Patty, whether it's from one of our kids, or whether it's from a coworker, you know, my mind starts to rationalize of why they're not right. And, 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 and what happens is we're careful, if we're not careful, what we'll say is they didn't get it right. They didn't hit the bullseye, but they sure enough hit the target. And so Solomon is saying, you know what, be teachable. He goes on and here, here's what he says. He says, extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupts the heart. You know what he's saying here? Don't lose your moral authority. That's what he's saying. You see, extortion is when a strong person takes advantage of a weak person. That's what extortion is. And what he's saying is when you do that, you lose moral authority. You see, what I see in our world today is we have a lot of people who hold positions and they even hold authority, but they don't have influence because they lost their moral authority. I see it in our politicians today. They have the seat, they have the power, so to speak. They have all of that, but you know what? Nobody's listening. You know why? Because many times they've taken advantage of people who are weaker. And whether it's a parent, whether it's a boss, whether it's a coach, when that happens, guess what? We end up losing our moral authority, and when we lose our moral authority, we lose our influence. And what is influence? Influence is the ability to impact one's thinking and one's behavior without controlling them. And so what happens is it's because of who you are that gets their attention. It's because of who you are that allows you to influence them. And so he would say, don't lose your moral authority. And then he goes on and he says, finishing is better than starting and patience is better than pride. He's saying, practice patience. Boy, do I need this one, okay? How many of us have stories, okay? How many of us have stories that we would have been better off if we would have waited to blow off steam? If we would have allowed God to intervene, if we would have allowed God to work, but we allowed our anger, our excitement, our frustration to make us anxious, and we would say something like, I just gotta get this off my chest. And, and, and so what happens is we didn't practice patience, we ran ahead, we didn't have all the facts, and you know what, we did damage. 
You see, God's great desire for you and for me is that we would develop this inner quality within us called character. And for that to happen, we have to replace our pride with a patient spirit. You see, what happens is when you're prideful, when I'm prideful, I can push wisdom right to the side. And when I do, guess what? I play the fool. I play the fool. And so what he would say is practice patience. Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your kids, maybe with your mom, maybe with your dad. By the way, maybe with your older parents that now the role has kind of changed and you need to practice patience with them. Solomon said it makes life better. He goes on to say, control your temper for anger labels you as a fool. <laughs> What's he saying here? He's saying, deal with your anger. You see, now God never tells us to not experience anger, okay? It's okay to be angry. What he does tell us is not to sin through our expression of our anger, that, that our human anger does not accomplish what he wants accomplished. And so when anger is not expressed in a right way, it can be incredibly destructive in our relationships, especially your marriage. You go off on your wife, you go off on your husband, I'm telling you, you know what? It does no good, it does no good. You might get your way, you might get to do that thing, you might put her in her place, you might put him in his place, but the fact of the matter is it does great, great damage. Great, great damage. Because anger usually are expressed through words. Solomon says this in Proverbs 29, 11. He says, stupid people express their anger openly, but sensible people are patient and hold it back. You see, what, what happens is when you and I don't deal with our anger appropriately, it causes arguments, it causes mistakes, it causes us to do foolish things. And it's just not good for you and me. And so Solomon would say, deal with your anger because there's a cost there. There's a cost there. And you need to understand that and you need to realize it because it causes things that are very, very destructive in your life and in my life. It'll cause you to do foolish things. And so Solomon would say, Deal with your anger, why? Because the impact that your anger has on your family and your friends is insurmountable. Again, you might get what you want in the short term, but what happens is you lose in the long run. You'll lose with your spouse, you'll lose with your, your kids, you will lose with your coworkers. You might get them to do what you want, they might obey you, but in the long term, you will lose. And so the result of misplaced anger is alienation. You will find yourself all alone. No one will want to be around you because they're gonna be walking on eggshells. And what happens initially when we demonstrate anger towards other people, what do we get? We get anger back. But what will end up happening is you'll just get apathy and nobody will wanna be around you. And that's not good. So the truth is you always lose when you lose your temper. You'll lose your reputation, you'll, you'll lose your job, you'll lose your children, you could lose your marriage when you don't control your anger. So Solomon would say, listen, he would say, do not, do not get angry in a way that's destructive. Proverbs 25, 28 says it like this, if you cannot control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls open to attack. And so 
Solomon is saying, you want a better life? Let me tell you how to have a better life. Deal with your anger, okay? Deal with it, okay? It's okay to get angry. It's how you and I express it many times that is not making a better life for you or for me. He goes on and he says this. He says, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. He says, wisdom is even better when you have money, but both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. So what's he saying here? Make wisdom a priority. Is it good to have money? You bet it is, man. He says wisdom and money are a great, great thing. But he says, if you have to choose between money and wisdom, choose wisdom. And Solomon chose wisdom. God said to him, hey, you know what? You can have anything that you want. Anything that you want. And he said, I'll take wisdom. And he was better for it. And so when you and I make wisdom, that's seeing things from God's perspective, okay? What happens is it makes life better. And he goes on to say this, except the way God does things. For who can straighten out what he is crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times come and strike, realize that both come from God and remember that nothing is certain in this life. You know what he's saying to you and I? Here's another nugget of wisdom. He's saying hold things loosely. Nothing is certain in life. You know what happens many times in life? We live as though we're owners. And can I just help you with this? You don't own anything. Everything that you have and everything that I have can be taken away from us. The only thing that can't be taken away from us is our relationship with God. And so my house, my car, my finances, all of that, I need to hold loosely. I, I need to realize that nothing is certain in life. And then he goes on. He says, I have seen everything, and this is meaningless in life, including the death of a good young person with the long life of the wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions. For anyone who fears God will avoid extremes. What's he saying here? He's saying, you want a better life? Avoid extremes. You see, what, what happens is today, he, he gives that comparison and, and today, what happens is we live in a life of extremes and balance is not there. And, and, and what he is saying is that you and I have to manage the tension. We have to manage the tension of life. Most of life is, is, is managing tension. You have the ideal, but you have reality and you have to manage that tension. And so what he is saying is avoid extremes, avoid extremes. Don't check out of reality, okay? You know, but avoid extremes, saying, God, I want your wisdom, and I want to know what is the best thing. Because here's what I know, okay? Balanced people outlast everybody else. Just watch. You got this person who's an extreme here. You got this person who's extreme there. And what happens? They're gone. It's, it's the person who's able to manage tension and avoid the strain, extremes that last. He goes on to say this, he says, one wise person is stronger than 10 leading citizens of a town. Wow. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sin. I think you could say amen to that. Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you. 
for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. Don't you love it? Huh? Wow. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? You'll do better in life if you realize that people are broken. We're all broken. I'm broken. You're broken. He says there's nobody who does everything right. Matter of fact, people don't only talk about you. You talk about them. Why? Because you're broken. Because we all battle sin. We all battle selfishness. And, and what he is saying here is you would do better in life if you would realize that everybody around you, your wife, your husband, your sons, your daughters, your mom, your dad, your boss, the people around you are all broken because we all experience sin. And so when I realize that, then what that allows me to do is manage my expectations. He goes on and he begins to wrap up with these incredible words. He says, I've always tried to do my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. That's incredible. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. You know what that means? You can't become wise enough on your own. He says, wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and foolishness is madness. You know what he's saying here? You can't will yourself to be wise. Not even Solomon. It was a gift from God. We can't make ourselves more wise. We can't even understand ourselves. And so what he says here is wisdom is a gift that we need to ask God to be able to give us. And then he goes on and he gets very specific about being wise. He said, I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap that's more bitter than death. Wow. Her passion is a snare and her hands are soft chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, meaning those who are wise, but sinners, okay, those who are foolish, will be caught in her snare. You know what he's saying? Sexual sin is deadly. Sexual sin is deadly. Now, here's what you need to realize. He, he is talking from one who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And, and, and he is saying when one is seduced into a sexual relationship, okay, what happens is it brings a death to you, a death to your emotions, a death to who you are as a person because God created us to be one and that relationship is called to be a man and a woman inside the confines of marriage that's what god called us to and so what he is saying is when you allow yourself to be seduced into a relationship outside of marriage okay that relationship though it might be intimate is unfulfilling and it will never deliver it will never deliver and 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 solomon is saying you will not find fulfillment in a fleeting affair, in just being sexually free. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You see, when you and I, okay, if we choose to have sex outside of marriage, it's a sin against our own body. It really messes us up. Now, it doesn't mean that sexual sin is the worst sin, okay? It, it doesn't mean that. What it means is that sex is far more than just a physical act. It involves your emotions. It involves your, your, your spirit. It involves your body. And there's an emotional and spiritual consequences 
You see, what, what happens if sex was just physical, it'd be like a handshake, and it's not, okay? It's not. And, and so what Solomon is saying is that you and I need to be able to make a commitment to purity. The Bible makes it very clear that sex is exclusively reserved for a husband and a wife who are committed to one another in marriage. And anything outside of that is deadly. It's just deadly. And then he concludes with this. He says, this is my conclusion, says the teacher. I've discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle. Though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous, but, but not one woman. But I have found this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have turned to follow their own downward path. You see, the good news for you and me is that you and I can have a relationship with the wisest person who ever lived. His name is Jesus. You and I can have an intimate relationship with him. And, 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 and as we have read and as we have learned in this series better, there is one that's greater than Solomon. His name is Jesus. And he is the channel which all wisdom comes through. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul writes these words, but God has brought you into union with Christ Jesus and God has made Christ to be our wisdom. By him, we are put right with God and we become God's holy people and are what? Set free. What's he saying? He's saying that when we have the wisdom of God, okay, we'll be right with God and we'll be set free. We'll be the men and the women that he's called us to be. We'll have the wisdom to be able to deal with whatever life throws at us. Listen to me, God has the whole world in his hands. Nothing's out of his control. And, and, and God wants you to be able to see life from his perspective, because when you see life from his perspective, you will do what he says. So let me ask you a question. Are you putting God's wisdom to work? It makes life better. When life offers you choices, choose better. What is that? It's God's wisdom. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you that you have made possible for each and every one of us to have even greater wisdom than Solomon because of Jesus Christ. And so for some of us today, we might need to enter into that relationship and just say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, Fill me with your love and peace and joy and your wisdom. For others of us, we've done that. And yet maybe we've experienced going off to the right or the left and we need to come back and we need to say, God, today, I wanna begin to see things from your perspective. I need your wisdom. Help me to walk in it so that I can experience a better life. And so we thank you today, Jesus, for who you are and for what you've done for us. And it's in your name that we give thanks, amen. If you wanna to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God's moving through this series, visit newpoint.org forward slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media. Download our app, subscribe to our weekly podcasts through Google Play or the App Store, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope you continue to realize and reach your full potential in Jesus Christ.